So I started off the week with with a bit of a weird medical problem. Now, I uh, starting starting on Friday of last week. That's the that's the day, a couple of days before Monday. Uh, like I I had this like constant like like backache and and uh, and chest aching, and my mm. my jaw was aching. And if you go oh. and read these symptoms, oh don't do that. That's like that's always the worst. But go on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is yeah. either like you know you're about to have a heart attack or you're yeah. having some side effect of some like vaccination or something. Right. And I had just gotten a booster shot the week before that. Okay. And then yeah. and then also like people in my family tend to die of like heart problems. So this okay. is just like all all a bunch of no good. So I but I was even like I I just like had canceled a bunch of things and I was feeling sick. And then of course my wife who would prefer that I stay alive uh like was like you got to go see a doctor. So I had this I've got two things on this topic. Well one everything's fine. I mean there actually was no problems. Right? The the diagnosis from my doctor was that I'm just getting older. Uh, which, which I think, did you get that in writing or was that just a verbal declaration? I think that was, I, well, I didn't actually see what he typed into the medical record system. Oh, that but, we need to look up that, that, yeah. that we want to go, but go on. Yes. I don't, I don't know if Apple health is syncing with the, uh, the system that they have, but anyways, there was two very notable things here. One, this was my, my, uh, most thorough, um, interaction with the uh, the Netherlands the Dutch healthcare system and, uh-huh. and kind of doctor thing you know I've alluded to making fun of how hands-off the, uh, the the doctors are around here or not hands-off how laid back they are and I think so you know Kim had prepared me she was like you're gonna go in there and you really have to advocate for them doing something otherwise they'll just say like you know everything's fine and uh, you know but you got to get them to run all the tests and so they you know I described all this stuff to them and uh, I noticed this guy had a had a skateboard in the back, so I asked him if he skateboard, and he described, you know, he said he did. He goes skateboarding. He's got to go early in the morning with all the other. He kept using the phrase "old geezers" with all the other. I think he was in his early fifties. All the other old geezers, because uh, you know, later in the day, all the kids come to the skate parks and they fill it up. So you know, and they can skate really well. So that you gotta you gotta be there to skate that. So you know, I'm doing the whole the whole thing where I'm trying to like, hey. I'm a person. Let's talk about people stuff. So you, you know, you just treat right. me. You know, try more to like person. establish some bonds, some personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, you know, he picked up skating late in life. And uh, his parents also. This is another great little anecdote. I he asks people always ask. I don't know how you respond to this. This is because it's always very difficult. People eventually ask me what my job is, and I just am like, uh, I work at a software company, more or less doing marketing. Like I, I don't know if right. if they really push. You just me, give like it. the minimum answer, the possible, the minimal, simplest answer that you don't think there'll be a follow up. Yeah, like, yeah. Know? I mean, I I don't want to be like, yeah, I work on this advocate team, but I don't really talk to developers or advocate for stuff. I don't know. Sometimes I tell people that like I research how large organizations get better at software and whatever. Mm-hmm. But but then it, but then at some point he was like, uh, is like, oh my my uh, my parents. Uh, they they didn't get me a computer when I was younger, and uh, so I haven't learned it. You know, everyone around me had a computer, but my <laughs> parents decided not to have one. And I was like, "Oh, what? So did you like that? What did you think about that?" And he's like, "I thought it was pretty fucked up." <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, right. that was. I'm I'm remembering now. This is a this guy was he was just a real uh, he was just a real character. He he uh, 
he even said, you know, what I've noticed is if you talk, if you start to get kind of friendly with Dutch people and you talk with them, of course they want to compare like, you know, uh, American to Dutch stuff or whatever. Sure. That'd be and, normal, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. And and then and then the the following phrase will come up eventually. They'll figure out a way to work it in. Like he um I got Dutch health insurance. And the way it works here is like you just type in your um it's called a BSN number, which is basically just like your government number, which in the States, you know, there would just be a revolution if we had that. Right. Never mind social it sounds so numbers. easy though. I have to say the way you decide it's like, gosh, that sounds simple. But yeah, but it, it's the equivalent of like how we use a social security number but so i got new insurance and you just like basically you just type a bsn number in and it just like integrates with everything oh. like all all the all the so it's like I a quid just a unique that sounds so great but go on yeah mm-hmm. and then it just like it just knows all your stuff and you're all set right Love it. More, more or less and i was like oh wow that was great that would uh that would never work in uh in, a, in the states in america <laughs> And he was like, he was like, kind of confused about it. And I had to explain like what happened. He was just like, mm. and I was like, yeah, he'd probably, I'd probably have to like fax something to someone. And he was like, oh, that's good to know because you know, a, a Dutch, and this is what they Dutch people eventually say is like, we like to complain about everything. So that's uh, that's good to know that uh, there's something good here. So that you know, I I could bring that little bit to them. But so one, when you go into the office. The only, you know, normally when you go to see the doctor for anything, they weigh you and take your blood pressure, right? But he right. didn't do that at first. So we just sit down at his desk, like we're sitting at a desk first thing. At a when desk? You, like you're in like an office, not like an exam room? Oh, yeah. And this is oh, what happened. Oh, my gosh. This is great. I like, this I actually is, like, go on. Uh huh. This is, this is how it was when I, I first moved here and, you know, got a doctor to make sure I had my, uh, my, like, is there a nurse that checks you in and like, nope, nope, nope. No. You go to the, no, you go really? to, yeah, you go to the desk wow. I'm and uh, this you, shocking. Okay, go on. You know, you sit in the waiting room, which yeah. you know that's normal, and uh, and then the doctor comes and gets you from the waiting room. You know, okay, Cote, like and uh, my regular doc, regular. I've only seen her once, but uh, the doctor that I saw last time, I guess she wasn't there because I saw this dude, and uh, also he's just wearing like, um, just like jeans, just hanging out, like no scrubs yeah. or anything. I mean, he's basically like. Does if he have you, a white coat? I guess that would be the normal. No white no, coat. No, no. He's wow. he's wearing like the equivalent of just like a Vans T-shirt and then like some some jeans and some Vans skate shoes, basically. Unbelievable. Right? This, I don't know. I I almost need. I need to go to the doctor next time. Interesting. Okay, go on. So and then and then so we walk back to his office and there's a desk, like a real <laughs> desk with chairs on either side, and he sits down at his desk on his side and I sit down on my side and he's like, so. You know, and, and I'd said on the phone, like, what's going on? And, you know, so I describe it and he's, he sits there listening. He's like, well, okay. And then, and then, well, first, this is like typical me. He asked me, like, uh, how tall I am. And I was like, uh, 5'10, 5'9? I don't know. I, I don't have my Texas driver's license anymore that had how tall I am on it that I would always use. <laughs> and he was like, oh, it, ha- it has your, uh, I'm just going to replay this whole this whole session i guess he's like that has your height on there i don't i don't think that's on our driver's licenses so he just he just pulls out his wallet and he like he's like he's like looks he's looking for his driver's license and he's got the he's got almost like a half costanza wallet where he's got some paper in there he just puts it on the desk and sure enough he looks on the front and the back of his driver's license and yes as as i was telling him it doesn't have your height so you know and then also you know i don't know what it is in centimeters and and then you'll love this part I, he has me just, he has me go stand up against, you know, the pillar in the middle of the office and just kind of eyeballs. It. And he's like, I don't know, you know, 
70, 80 centimeters. I, I don't even remember what he said, but he just is kind of like, mm, yeah, it's about that. Like, he just wants a rough <laughs> estimate. Okay. And then he asked me how much I weigh, and I'm like, mm, I used to weigh, like, you know, I was like, I, na- yeah, yeah, nowadays I weigh between 182 and 185 and uh-huh. pounds. And he's like, oh, and not in a bad way. He's like, oh, and then he, then he has me go weigh myself so that he knows kilograms. Right. But the point of that is he wouldn't have done it and let, you know, if I had more confidence in what I was saying, right? Whereas okay. normally in, in an American system, they always do that. Right? So if you're like, I'm six foot 195 and you set up with confidence, you're like, okay. Just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like and, and, and in metric, I'm sure he would. Oh, have been okay. Cool. So convert like it to metric. Okay, that would make yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah. yeah so and then, and then, of course, you know, since since I thought there might be some sort of you know heart chest stuff, he took my uh, my blood pressure and uh, my oxygen level. I mean, that was all fine. But he was doing that. Is that because... I assume that's in the same units, or do you, is that just there's some metric equivalent of uh, I don't know what is it blood pressure? <laughs> I, think, I hope I hope that that would be hard. I mean, to be like you're I, like if they come I, and hit you with like it's a thousand. You're like whoa. No, I, I think I think those are all. I, don't, I think those, those are, are universal not, across medical. Yeah. There's it's, no. Uh... It's not imperial and metric. I think those okay. are those are different. Good to know. Of, of course, every time you know, every time people, uh, you know, uh, a doctor, someone gives me a medical readout, I always have to be like, "Is that good?" I mean, they'll be <laughs> like, you know, they might as well be saying like, you know, oh, it's like uh, frankfurters over, uh, you know, earwax. That's what your measurement is, and I'm like, yeah, mm, okay, great. I don't know what that means. <laughs> so, but the whole point is he only ran these these minor tests because he needed to, right? Not not just because I was there. And then and then uh, you know, I mean, and then he had me do some squat thrusts and he was like, "Yeah, you know, uh, and everything was fine." He's like, "If you're having hot pro- heart problems when you're doing squat thrusts, that would really hurt, uh, but everything's fine. So that's not the issue." So, who knows what it is? I'm just old. Is uh, what his conclusion was. All right, I just I just want to summarize. You went in <laughs> <laughs> just to go back. You went in potentially just feeling some heart palpitations. Let's call it. And uh-huh. the, the, the the entire visit convi- uh, consisted of you talking about skateboarding, uh, fumbling <laughs> through your height and weight, which you then verified and converted to metric, uh-huh. followed by. Like how many thrusts did you do? Did you do like five? You ten? Like a minute? Like, like I think little... I did. I think I did four or five. So you I did think... five squat thrusts, <laughs> and then like, did he like examine you to like see if your heart was up, or did he just say you look fine? Like, was there any more after he did you just watch the thrust and that was it, or was there like some <laughs> measurement of your your heart uh, blood pressure after that? No, you know, I uh, not really. No, I mean he t- he took my blood wow. pressure and uh, and and he did that little oxygen thing that you clip on. the Okay, finger. a little like okay, okay. So there was at least another measurement of and, the oxygen. And, and okay, to, to to be fair to the laid backness of it, like when I told him that my dad had two heart attacks in his like forties, he was like, uh-huh. "Oh, uh, you should go to get some blood work done." And so the next day, I went and you know got checked okay. Out. So he did order up like the yeah, cholesterol yeah, yeah, and yeah. okay. All right, so that part would be very similar to the United States. You would get right, right, right the blood work. Okay, but you know, I mean, I feel like if I was in the states, it would be like, oh, you got to go get an MRI right away. Like they they just like would be on it, or you'd at least have to do some sort of breath test to blow into a tube. Yeah, I don't like know VO2 max or something. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's kind of interesting hearing it. It's like in some ways, it's like. It seems better, but it also seems like, I don't know where I come down on it. It does seem like, because I think in some ways, 
I'm going to translate a little bit what he said. I think he just sort of like played a little bit. And I think a lot of doctors do this. They just kind of help you a little bit with like psychology. Like you're just feeling anxious or your wife in this case, feeling anxious. So that part of it is just them kind of just being the professional person that can say you're fine. It's just some anxiety. Right. I mean, that's like another way of saying that. Right. 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 Um, right. Which is like, and, which is actually a very helpful thing. Sometimes just someone that yeah, has a credential yeah. telling you, you're just having some anxiety about this issue. It's fine. It's actually a great way to relieve the anxiety. So I don't like me to trivialize that for sure. For um, sure. But it is <laughs> it's funny. Like in the U S it does, it does seem like at a minimum you would have seen, uh, someone would have checked you in. You would have presented uh-huh. an insurance card, right, to the office staff. You would sure, have sat sure, down. Sure. You would have certainly seen a nurse. The nurse would have taken a bunch of vitals, yep. written this all this down, put you in the little room. You would have waited. And then the doctor, I guess, he probably would have come in. A doctor, he or she probably would have done something similar. I don't know about the thrust, though. It seems like that does feel like... I don't know. I've never. I think it was. Just, I I've mean, never asked like, that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it could be one of those things. Like you know, when you call tech support, they're like, yeah, you know, instead of asking you if if you <laughs> rebooted it, reboot they're like, the computer? what? What you, I need you to do is unplug. unplug it and blow the dust out of it. Like it could just be some sort of placebo thing. But right, his his logic made sense, right? He's like, you know, your 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 heart will go like, I think he said fifty, like fifty times. That doesn't make sense. But, you know, your heart is going to work a lot more than if you're just sitting there. So this will have a huge effect. Okay. If so actually... if you were having some type of – is that what – you put some stress on the heart. And yeah, yeah. But but it was weird. Like that morning I had like reached up to like get a uh, a can of Pringles. And it's just like my total my total like arm and side and armpit and chest like really hurt uh, doing that. And I hadn't been – as I told him, I hadn't been digging holes or like anything that, you know, you would expect to feel sore with. Anyhow, so that was all cool. I still need to uh, figure out getting the test results back. I'm not sure. Like I went when I went to the lab. One, it was great. There was no line. I oh. just like stood there and like ba- I I stood there because there were two the two lab techs talking with each other. But then when they were done, they're like, "Oh yeah, come in." And then they she like it must have taken like five minutes total to like draw three vials of blood. And then I was like, "Wow, that was fast." And then uh, and then that was it. And then I'll, and then I was like, "This is more like great, great." uh like laid backness i was like so um so for the results to do uh when do i get those do they call them and she was like oh no you you called to get them and i was like okay so when do i call and she she said literally next week (laughs) and i was like like no knowing knowing the laid back of stuff i you know in my head i was like like on tuesday or friday but i knew that there was no answer it was literally just yeah, call next week sometime. <laughs> it's very exciting. However, okay. So this is the second thing that I really want. This is the more pressing issue is, like I said, my my jaw was hurting as well. Over over on the, uh, what side is that? The right side. And that has, has persisted. And in fact, today it's gotten worse. And I was thinking, maybe I have a cavity. And, and this is what, like, I, I actually have... I have a couple of fillings, so I did have some cavities, but it was one of those one of those cavities where, like, I was at my my dentist check, and he's like, "Oh, we should fill these in," and I was like, "Oh, I I had no idea. Like, I never I've never felt the pain of a cavity, right? So I don't really know what it feels like. However, like, it's hard to tell because it's kind of like all of my jaw. But I've gone in to my mouth with my fingers, and I've like <laughs> wiggled all of my teeth on that side, and nothing hurts, right? But it's still like. Like to eat, eat to eat something is a little sore to to masticate on that side, 
And so not having like lived through a painful cavity episode, what I want to know is like, can I, like if I do have a cavity, I feel like if I go in and pinch my gums and like pull on my teeth, kind of like with doing the squat thrust, there should be some like very painful event that I'm causing if I have a cavity. No. That's not how it works. That's no? definitely okay. not. Okay. So just to reiterate, I mean, I don't, you know, we're not a show that gives out medical advice. So, you know, for all the listeners that don't, uh, don't, don't follow us for stock picks or medical advice, but I would just say if someone that's had many cavities, no, you're not necessarily okay. going to feel any pain by just putting your finger in. Like what you should do is just go in and have a dental exam, like usually a cleaning, right? Have them take x-rays and then they can see if the decay, because oftentimes the decay will be inside the tooth and it'll be, okay. Okay. And that, and it won't be outwardly noticeable necessarily. And it, if it gets to the root, right, that's what a cavity is. Essentially the decay, it starts to show some of the roots. So that's when you're kind of biting on something and like you're like, it kind of comes and goes. Maybe you feel like a little bit of pain, maybe no pain or just like. And, and does it or, cause like like soreness in your it, entire jaw? Mm, like, I don't know. Soreness is a little, that seems a little unusual. That can maybe be like, now we're really talking about being way off our area here. It's like maybe that's a gum thing or maybe, but not, regardless, I guess let's just leave it at this. Like you should go get your teeth cleaned. I don't know how yeah, to do it in yeah. Amsterdam, of course, but like here, like once a year, get your teeth. Once a year, you'll usually have x-rays taken. That's all you need to do is like have them take a set of x-rays. Okay. okay. Have the yeah. dentist look at it and they can tell you if, because uh, the other thing is like you may be having some type of like root canal root issue okay. or something okay. that could be causing it. So that, that yeah, would be my yeah. advice on that one. Okay. Yeah. I should probably, I mean, they take dentistry pretty serious around here. They're, they're, <laughs> I don't they're know. Way, After hearing your description that. of the... Call them, let's call me your general practitioner. I could be pretty laid back. Maybe the dentist will just like, hey, tell me. Maybe you'll just sit down and I'll just be like, tell me about your teeth. I don't know. Like that, you know. <laughs> do, 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 so you, you think you have a cavity. Well, why don't you stand up and do a few squats? <laughs> Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check out StrongDM for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at strongdm.com slash SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I've, I've every now and then I've been recording with our old friend Charles Lowell, the uh, the drunker and retireder rebirth there. And we just recorded one this week that I that I released. If you go to drunker and retireder that fireside.fm you can download it. But I finally got around to asking and this is what I like to do with this podcast. You know I haven't programmed since like two thousand five or six. And despite having covering covered this stuff, there's a lot of like things that I, I don't really like know and I only know abstractly. So I finally like got an interesting explanation, something that I didn't even realize I was asking about basically how like package management and repos and all that stuff worked. And just to lay the baseline is basically like, you know, back when I programmed, you remember back then 
when when I was there uh, programming, Brandon, you were there. Like, if you wanted to use some software, a framework, uh, you would get in Java, you would download a jar file and you would use that. That was basically the state of the art. I mean, there was some early stuff of like automatically downloading the stuff, but essentially like you would download the file and put it in the class path and you, you would use it and set up your stuff. And so I was talking about that with him and he was like, Oh yeah, no one does that anymore. It's all it's the <laughs> dependencies, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it's all, you know, you 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 have all these uh registries or repos that you use and the stuff just gets pulled down from that uh automatically cuz you you say that you use it. And then and then I've learned I forget you might know where like this idea comes from from some, you know, business book how to analyze things, but I've learned to ask the following type of question in this situation to be like that was really interesting. I didn't even realize that. So do programmers even realize that that's a thing? Like, do they even <laughs> think about that? And he's like, no, no one thinks about that. That's just the way it is. And, you know, that kind of opened up my mind to all sorts of all the discussion that people have about, like, you know, registries. Like, I've always wondered why, like, JFrog is such a huge company. But it's because, like, you need all these registries, and that's the way that you just do software instead of just downloading it and using it. Then, of course, you know, I'm sounding like kind of a fool here for saying this, but it's 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 always fun to learn something. But, you know, that's, of, of course, if you're like at a big organization, you want to set up ideally all your own registries to control uh, software that gets distributed there. And, of course, that prob- I bet that only works like 20 to 30% of the time. And then you're always chasing after developers who uh, have been just getting their stuff off of the Internet here. And I was reminded of that. You know, because you always have your uh, what are the kids calling it now? Uh, supply chains. You've That's got right. your supply software chain. Supply chain. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're. You're. I mean, and if you want to be really choice, your secure software supply chain. Of that course. Be, yes. That would mm-hmm. be the S S S C, right? <laughs> yeah. The the three CS is what S- we need Cube to start C. calling them. So, yeah. Triple yeah. yeah. S C. Yeah. Uh, you know, one day I, I want someone to explain to me why they're always like squaring and square rooting stuff in math. Like it seems like a lot of work that should be avoided. But anyways, uh, like uh, there, there was a, a reminder of this that it, I think the one of the people who provides some of the you know core JavaScript stuff just decided to just like totally fuck them up that, mm-hmm. that people rely on, which, you know, I haven't read in depth in that, but it does seem like I feel like. This I don't know what the intentions were, but this is some sort of great, maybe unintentional, just performative art to just remind people about how how everything works. And uh, it also seems like, you know, I I feel like everything, maybe it's because I work at a vendor who wants to sell you the S-cubed C stuff. (laughs) Uh, And every vendor wants to sell you that now, but... Like, like maybe people are coming around to this idea that you should just like not download stuff, uh, you know, willy nilly uh, automatically and really have kind of like a more static idea of, of, of the code that you have there. But at least it doesn't, it doesn't uh, seem to have brought down the internet. Uh, well, I mean, this is kind of back know. to, I think our ongoing discussion. So I think what you're fer- referring to is this week, right? Well, I guess somebody, um, is NPM corruption. They changed the like faker.js, which I think creates a bunch of fake data for demos and then colors.js. So it looks like the original author, you know, changed it to do some bad things. 
and I think it was a little unclear if it was a political statement or maybe the person was having a mental health, health crisis. Like I wasn't clear to me what was going on there, but regardless, they did it. And then that, of course, um, to your point is that every time someone, you know, basically uses NPM and the package manager, it pulls down the latest version. So, I mean, it does kind of come back to this, this kind of ongoing question. Like, of course there are ways you could avoid this, right? To your point about create your own repositories only, you know, basically only put in, uh, packages that you believe or that know that you vetted for your own security requirements and then just pull it from there. But that's, a, but I think that, you know, it, like everything, it comes back to like, that's a lot of work. Right. Um, mm. And then I think if Matt Raver here would say, he would say something like, you can also specify the specific version. So you can like not get the latest, always like always go back and get like this specific version. So that would be another way. But again, like again, more work. So it is kind of back to this qu- open question around, well, everyone can do that work, right? And kind of like do the gatekeeping themselves to protect themselves. Or when there's a problem like this, you know, GitHub just steps in, suspends the account, they roll, you know, they fix the changes and, you know, it just like everyone you know, either gets, either does the rollback version or gets the new version and it's fixed. So I don't know. I mean, it's one, it's kind of like, you know, we talk about like the security violations all the time. It's like, well, is it better to just live with it or is it better to try to take tons of steps to prevent it, uh, even though that's going to take you a lot of time and effort? So, I don't, you know, it'd be interesting to see what the responses um, are to this. But of, of course, like as, you know, Matt Ray was saying in his, you know, what would you, what company would you start if you're starting a company today? You would start a secure, uh, um, what pipeline, you know, software pipeline uh, company because this comes up all the time. So I don't know, but I just, it's, it's like a lot of these things. It's like, I don't know, we're just going to wait a couple of weeks. This is going to go away. And mm, I don't know if people true. really are, are going to really take a lot of action. And I'm not sure they should take a ton of action. It's more like, yeah, it happens. This is kind of a unique situation. Now, if someone does it every day, if everyone starts corrupting all of the files all the time, then yeah, you, you, you will have to do it. Yeah, that, that's an interesting idea that like someone like GitHub should uh take take the uh what's the word the the prerogative the initiative to uh solve a, a problem like that like you know it's an interesting th- uh what would we call that in real life would that be called like a moral position like is it to to essentially be like this is a widely used thing and there's something wrong with it that we can fix even though we're not like the owners of it right and so therefore we will take action to fix this thing. And, you know, uh, nor, you know, and, and because it, it, it perhaps implies a bunch of like sticky stuff. Like at some point they also have to make a call of like other stuff that they, they don't go out there and fix. So then you've got to come up with a program for it. And like, it becomes like a whole, a whole thing. You got to, yeah, it becomes like a moral about. hazard question is like, well, where are you, where do you intervene? Right. And where, you know, so like a case like this, you know, it seems like, yeah, this was breaking lots of applications. It was clearly, you know, the broader community was frustrated, you know, even causing damage. So it seems pretty guess, easy case. I guess that, that's the in. the policies. If, if it's breaking things, then if it's breaking things, not because like it's been end of life or something, then, then maybe there's probably a good reason to uh, stand in and, and, you know, roll back things and, and so that all the automatic updates don't uh get screwed up now also like i you know do you I, regardless of what's happening here i probably should have done the background reading but like do you think it, it, it would be possible to make a political statement 
by uh, breaking a widely used piece of code? I, gu- I guess the statement you would be making is you would call attention to it and then make the statement, right? Like the w- the way in which you broke code, it probably you'd have, probably have to be pretty clever to have just the way that things were broken be some sort of like a statement that you wanted to make. Yeah, well, in this case, um, the person did something. You know, it's basically something about liberty, liberty. And, I mean, they were basically posting something um, – I guess that would, you know, it's like something like, let's say, what really happened with Aaron Swartz? Like, so I don't know, it kind of had this conspiracy kind of thing going. Mm. So, so I did. I mean, it did result, I guess, in like calling attention to this. You know, I, this I, issue, I guess, right? I guess I mean, if you were doing like a, like a, some sort of JavaScript, some sort of front end library, you could just like put some yeah, text. Yeah, you could in show there. stuff, right? So you could definitely, you know, and I think that's kind of, that's where people noticed, right? It's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, it's, it's not just the applications are breaking. It's like, we're seeing all this weird stuff. Like, what's going on there? So, it'd, be, it'd be like in sneakers, like no more secrets or too many secrets just shows <laughs> right, up it everywhere. Is, it does kind of have that feel to it. Because they've so. broken the encryption on the mainframe. That, <laughs> that's right. Always, it's always the mainframe. It's always encryption on the mainframe. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that, that'll be, uh, you know, a lot of the prediction pieces have been coming out. And I think that a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, uh, your 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 S three C stuff. People are are interested in in that. So we'll see if that that rolls on. I mean, I think to your point, also like no, everyone's forgotten about log for J problems, right? That was just uh, last week. I don't know if that. <laughs> well, they do kind of come and go, but I do think it is kind of a you know, I guess it's kind of this ongoing discussion in the broader industry just around like gatekeepers versus decentralization and whatever. And it's like, and there is always this. I don't know. I mean, it does feel like you walk up these chains, like so. So like take this example, it's like open source, anyone can edit the code, this person owns the code, they may change it, it is their library, but like, there are times of these moments where like having a gatekeeper, like someone like GitHub, who can just step in, right? And mm-hmm. even though, mm-hmm. you know, even though it's sort of not what, you know, sometimes we don't want that, like we don't want someone telling us what software you can put, uh, you know, what packages can put on GitHub, but like in this case, it's convenient, right? And it reminds me a little bit of the SolarWinds issues, back with Microsoft where they finally figured out like, you know, like which IP address and like where it was all going. And they just, they just took over that IP and that URL. Like they just stepped in. Right. And they were just like, you know, and I guess through the government agencies, but like, it's nice. Right. It's like, there are times where it's like, Oh, this is great. These people can just like step in and uh, correct this problem, which is, you know, I think a lot of times people are like telling you why that's bad, right? We hear a lot about like, oh, gatekeepers, you know, it's centralization, it's wrong. And there's lots of um, reasons for that. But at the same time, there are the moments like this where it's like, it's actually pretty convenient. It's almost like, you know, you've lost your password, like legitimately, oh, I can change it for you. Like there's someone that can help you versus like, sorry, that's there's nothing we can do. It's like, um, so I think it's just interesting that like these issues kind of come up over and over again. So, so speaking of centralized stuff, I think there's further further uh uh wedging the cracks of this whole web3 crypto thing i think i think uh every every uh every week or so some some uh some tech nerd comes in and like tries to figure out exactly what's going on there i was listening to the uh the dithering podcast which which you know i recommend maybe for the past few episodes they've been a little like all over the place but like one of them had a had a fun theory that like a lot of interesting articles have come out in the past few weeks because there are a bunch of like nerds who had a lot of vacation time and, and they were like, now that I got some time off, I'm going to try to figure out what this web three thing is. Crypto over Christmas, crypto, <laughs> crypto projects over the Christmas break. Yeah. And so, you know, there've been, uh, there've been people like, you know, actually writing, uh, some few things, you know, some apps here and testing it out. And I think 
it seems like tell me tell me if this is the impression it seems like the current state of the art of what's going on here from just like a less you know not so much just like a bald crass this is a bunch of bs level is like well it's inherently centralized because there's only like a few services that you use to access everything like it doesn't actually work to do things in a decentralized way which uh and then and then i think one of the the more recent posts was also great where it was like well you still need dns and a server that you're going to run somewhere so you already need all of the stuff that you're trying to decentralize and or you need all your centralized stuff anyways so you're just building it on top of there and i still don't now as i read this more and more i still haven't figured out like what the 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 magic of the stuff is that uh, that that makes it different so it's uh, what is this? We got January thirteenth, Brandon. I'm still skeptical. I, I, I haven't. <laughs> Nothing's changed. So, yeah, I think so far article, the year hasn't evolved. I was gonna say. I think. I guess it's. Uh, I'm gonna do my best. It's uh, Moxie. What Marlon Spike? Marlon. I think that's how you say his name. So you know he's well known cryptographer. Wrote Signal, and uh, he wrote a pretty long piece on it. And I think that's he's the one that essentially pointed out, and maybe even generalizing his his points even more, which is sort of like. The client, like your phone or your web browser, still is going to, you know, basically go to a website to then interact with this whole system, right? And that website, even though behind the scenes it's all decentralized and it's doing all this blockchain stuff, that website can basically step in and do stuff and basically right. make corrections. And, 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 and his, his point, go ahead. His 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 uh, uh, his good original content is I'm actually going to write some applications. Uh, that, that, <laughs> right that to prove this stuff. out right yeah yeah and, and just see what it's like and i think uh you know i still don't understand all these things but he made some kind of nft that that originally was one thing and then he decided to change it to the poop emoji and uh and then he ran this through open c was his like broker or something i don't right. know what they say That's but the nft broker right uh-huh. and then ki- and then and then kind of to our github gatekeeper thing if i remember i think he said that once he changed it to the poop thing the someone at OpenSea or something decided that this was like corrupt, and so they just turned it off. And and he didn't quite say it this like he has a very uh, he had a very good uh, you know programmer nerd tone throughout it, very very clinical. Uh, and uh, but I think essentially what he was saying is like so that whole decentralized thing where some authority can't just control your digital asset doesn't seem to be real. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, totally. It totally. Uh, and I do think, but it, you know, what I thought was more um, insightful this week were two other posts, kind of closely related, that I read for this. One was from Kleiner Perkins, and they were doing uh, this partner was essentially doing kind of their predictions of the year and like what's going on. And I thought this passage was really interesting, right? It was it says uh, a quote from it for a second here? It says, "Quote: uh, Web three software needs to be instrumented with observability for debugging and performance monitoring." Uh, Web3 developers will demand tools that improve their productivity. Blockchains will require reliable DNS resolution as well as global performance and transaction analytics. Um, and so it goes on and on, right? And, and what he's basically outlining in his paragraph is like, he does not say it this way. So I am now, this is my commentary. So he's basically saying, this is really exciting because all of the enterprise software companies that I funded before have to be rebuilt, right? And provide mm-hmm. the same functionality to this new uh, web three phenomenon. And I thought that was just, I mean, to me, it's just sort of like, what, like why is a venture capitalist excited about web three? I think that answer, like his answer is implicit is like, this is great. Cause I get to fund all the same problems again. Like we kind of joke all the time, Kote, that 
monitoring gets rewritten year after year. And they, this would be another, you know, right now somebody is writing the observability web three monitoring uh, software stack and they're trying to become the next whatever Datadog or whoever the, 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 the biggest one is. And it's like, and I think it's just like acknowledging that incentive is like really, you know, important to understand. It's like, okay, the venture capital community wants to do this. They want to fund things they've seen before. That's exciting to them. But if there isn't like a new problem being solved, that may, may not be exciting to the end users, which I just, I don't know. That's I, right. Maybe that's obvious, but like, I thought it was really, you know, to me, it really jumped off the page. This along with the, the, the kind of like the reason it may not work in the future is like kind of two, two pieces of the puzzle. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm imagining that uh, in the, I don't know what financial calendar they're on, but I'm imagining in, in this current year's, uh, you know, CTO trend report inside BMC, <laughs> I hope that the the BMC CTO trend report has been contemplating, you know, how they're going to monitor and manage uh, blockchain based things and how there's a lot of potential there, you know, and then they'll probably just go back to doing some batch management stuff because that's <laughs> right. to your point, like people need that and it's more realistic and uh, it'll be hard to find. But, a, but I think it's a, a good answer. There. Just like, you know, we see a lot of Andrews and Horowitz or A16Z like, okay, that explains it. Like they are excited about funding all of these startups. And I, I mean, I don't mean it in a bad way. It's like, okay, but like, it's just sort of like know where, where the incentives are. And the other one that I think is really interesting is, uh, you know, the great Matt Levine uh, newsletter, which is just, you know, I mean, how many times have I recommended it? Uh, but he goes on to say like, you know, he's talking about the crypto boom. Now he's just talking about from the financial side, right? And it's like a quote from his newsletter this week. It says, uh, the crypto boom is a wild growth rush for money, but it's also important, says, is intellectual gold rush rush if like citadel systems you have spent the last few decades building the intellectual intellectual and technological apparatus to trade financial assets quickly and efficiently across multiple um, venues in a complex global environment getting handed a bunch of brand new assets and venues and environments has to be fun and exciting right and i think that was just another kind of way to look at this it's like wow like if you are great at, at trading financial instruments and you get new financial instruments where there isn't like a ton of competition, right? Like think about all stocks and bonds and there's tons of competition, but there's not that much competition in crypto. Like it is super exciting. So that's why you think about all the financial banks and all the, the various, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them, um, stocks and, and things that they, you can trade this way. Like that group of people is going to be really, really excited. So again, like mm-hmm. he's kind of pointing out the same thing is like, yeah, financial institutions want to trade crypto because it's new to them. And again, there may not be an under, underlying value to a consumer but when you kind of pair these two up venture capitalists want to like fund the same kinds of companies for the enterprise you know financial markets want to build new financial products for you and it's like yeah of course these two groups are going to make a lot of noise about this because it's extremely exciting for them you know this raises a good point that pulls together a lot of uh, a lot of stuff from my you know left-leaning leaning like 90s uh, upbringing and and first is you know what I what I think uh, I laid out as the uh, you know we got too many types of screws problem right which is just like it's just capitalism gone amok like we don't we don't need this many types of screws stop innovating types of screws and uh, and then and then you know equally like every time I I dip a little bit and sometimes your your newsletter friend here goes over this every time I dip a little bit into all the types of financial instruments out there and he does always does a good job of explaining these. I don't even know what derivatives and contracts and SPACs and things like usually by the end of reading that, I always think like, I don't understand what the need for this is, 
right? Like you've just come up with all these weird things just to have something to invest in. And I think that's the key there, right? Like whether you're, I mean, if you're, if you're dealing in a purely finance kind of just pure, I want to make money with money. Like the, 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 the product that you're, you're, you you're creating is money instead of a product. Then, uh, all you really want to do is encourage money moving as much as possible. The more that money moves around, the more money you're going to make. Like that's kind of all that you can focus on. And so of course, like if you're a venture uh, funded person, there's some new field that needs to be filled out. That's a bunch of money moving around. You want to get involved in it, which is wonderful. And then now, so you've got this motivation from financial people to like, move money around and then you marry this up technologically with the desire for nerds to constantly be working on new things and reworking on stuff and it's like a perfect storm you can you can identify the nerds are just like well you know the internet sure was cool but now let's completely rewrite it and and people will say like but it like what problem are you solving and they're like the problem we're solving is my boredom uh, and That's and right. like and then so it's a great combination if you actually tie together finance with nerds wanting to rewrite stuff over and over again. Now you've got this. Uh, it's fantastic because basically you have the nerds like inventing kind of like a false need for something that it immediately needs not only like financial instruments around it, but just new, you know, new monitoring and, and logging systems. Which right. And I think sure. that's kind of like, I think what you kind of described there is sort of like, this is what leads to the mass of speculation, right? These two things happening simultaneously. Like you have tons of financial products potentially creating people that want to speculate on them, followed by companies that want to build solutions to support them, which is yet another form of speculating on like what the future will want. All while nothing, the actual demand and need for this is not proven out, right? Typically, I think what we'd like to see is, something new emerges and it starts to get use and it has some type of consumer surplus that we're all using. So you just pick the internet, right? It's just like, yeah, everyone's building a website. turns out these websites are really useful for whatever reason. And then people say like, well, we should fund more people to build websites. We should fund tools to build websites, but that's following the demand created, right? Because it's very clear why a company building a website, you know, adds value to the company. And I think in this case, it's like everything is being front run, right? Like nobody can decide like what the, in this case, the consumer sur surplus being created. And I think that's why it leads to all of this kind of like back and forth, right? Like some people just, hey, it's going to happen. And it could, I mean, to be fair, something could emerge. Like, I don't know what, right? But it is something could emerge out of this. I just think, I yeah, do yeah. think we can say at this very moment, it's mostly speculation. There isn't, you know, even though Chris Dixon will tell us we're all wrong, and then he'll he'll quote Gandhi, but not really the Gandhi because we talked about that. That wasn't a quote from Gandhi, but like he'll say that, and he's like, "Well, I don't, you know, I don't think I still don't think it applies, right?" It still comes back to Chris. I just don't see the actual consumer surplus. Doesn't mean it can't happen. It just means we don't see it today. And I think he would tell me I'm wrong. You're missing it, and I'd be like, "I'm watching. I'm not missing it. I'm watching for it." I, I think I think you you put it well. This is this is a market that is based on the idea that something might happen. <laughs> that, that's like we we might come up with a use for this that uh that that makes sense uh versus just like you know having a centralized database somewhere and uh <laughs> i mean i think the last thing on that topic is finally you know uh someone made the point that uh that i hadn't really like in in reading this through this stuff i hadn't really thought about that much but someone made the point that the whole framing of of web 2.0 being facebook 
was uh, not really what Web 2.0 was. It was Web 2.0 was more about you know open systems and decentralized things, and and it was you know the the WordPress guy Matt Mullenweg who uh, he dug up an old slide from the 2000s that listed all the uh, all the old systems. You know your flickers. I think Technorati might have even been on there if you remember them. Yeah, but yeah, that's it, old it, school it, for sure. Yeah, it is indeed that the 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 idea of Web One and Web Two and Web Three like uh, is a little like not accurate, <laughs> or at least the the first two there so of how people frame it. And you know, <clears throat> it does seem like a lot of the stuff is just like it's basically anti Facebook. Maybe that that should be the way that we file away Web three stuff is people are trying to uh, just take away the centralized hold that uh, that Facebook has on things. But I don't know. To your point, something might happen. There there might be a a product that emerges here. So I'm sure we'll check in next week in for the uh, the, the Web three files and uh, and see what's happening there. That that will be uh, that'll be good stuff. Now, also in that. I think it was in the 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 Kleiner Perkins write up. This was like the annual what's going on there. I think was the uh there was is this let, let me there's a suggestion that maybe the big the big uh the big web scalers you know they'll sort of more focus on the actual primitives, the the atomic units instead of building out the higher level uh abstraction layers that that are out there and uh so that they can be reused across the uh the multi-cloud world, I guess. And and narrow down to that. Now, now, what do you th- what do you think of that that idea there, Brandon? Are they going to? I like it. You know, I thought this was. I did. I did. Uh, I thought this whole post was interesting. And so this was the same person, right? Because I think you know this insight is kind of interesting. Is like maybe, and if you think about it for a second, is like, hey, just owning the primitives, which is mostly like compute, storage, networking. Maybe we we'll throw databases in there and say, if you hyperscalers ultimately may decide, or it may become apparent that just managing those businesses are both profitable enough and big enough to sustain, you know, the growth, right. That they want to see out of it. And so his point is that, um, that the other things on top of it, and he calls it serverless infrastructure solutions, which I thought was a little bit weird because I think of serverless as something different, but I think what he's really just saying is like, Hey, someone like Snowflake, leave all the data analytics to Snowflake, right? Leave these more complicated um, infrastructure solutions that sit on top of the primitives to other providers, and that all over time, that may make more sense, right? Because I think one of the things that all of the hyperscalers are um, criticized for is sometimes people feel like their solutions aren't necessarily as complete as other people's. And so the thought is that, hey, instead of competing with all of these, just use them as a platform to actually build out new serverless uh, infrastructure solutions. So I thought it was an interesting idea. And I, I do think, you know, this point about valuations uh, makes sense, right? It's like, yeah, if... You know, even Amazon or Microsoft or Google, as big as they are, they can't do everything. So maybe you do end up with them focusing on the primitives and then mostly partnering with like the other large solutions like the Snowflakes and other things to provide the infrastructure. So I don't know. I mean, I think today if you went into Amazon or Microsoft or Google, they probably say, no, no, we want to own it all. But over time, maybe it does make more sense. And I think you could look another example would be like Netflix versus Amazon video. It's like Netflix still seems like it's a superior video solution. Amazon Prime Video doesn't seem like they're going to displace them anytime soon. And maybe that's okay, right? Maybe that's a good way for everyone to make money. So maybe that'll appear in enterprise software going forward. Hmm. Yeah, just a- Amazon design stuff just continues to be super goofy and weird. Like, just like, 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe that maybe that they've got a thing there where like I feel like you always know when you're using some Amazon software because they there are some clunkiness in in their UI that makes it uh, makes it always apparent. You know, I was just on that topic. I was just thinking like. I don't know. Maybe we should like cancel our Netflix account because we just watch the the Disney Plus stuff all the time, right? Like, and but maybe and that's like, even a better example. It's like Disney Plus, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're built on, right? But it's like whether it's Amazon, right? It's like, hey, it's just like they're like Amazon's never going to have Marvel and Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. it is just better for them to sit on top of it. And and I think you know somebody in the chat here is pointing out, it's like, well, over time, like you know, the value is in these other things, the the higher business value stuff. And I think that's what this specific um post is kind of calling into question is like hey over time because he even kind of says that like that if you will this idea of this co-opetition is like collectively everyone can make more money by kind of doing this together and i think if you were amazon and i know this is not really their culture right is like why not let some of these other large you know serverless infrastructure solutions get big get big enough and prove it out and then just if you really want to own it just buy them right like just buy snowflake buy elastic rather than offering a competing service that doesn't provide all the functionality. And I think that's going to be the tension going forward. It's like, okay, you know, and I think we see, I feel like we see more of it lately where people feel like the Amazon service that was launched with the two pizza team or whatever, doesn't quite offer all the functionality and there's Mm. frustration, right? So it's like, do they continue to do that? Will Amazon continue to do that and just say, Hey, we've given you enough. Or is there some point where it's like, Hey, why don't, if we really want to own it, let's just buy that. Right. Let's buy that and integrate it. That's not really an Amazon thing, but that would be back in the day. That would be how IBM or Oracle would have built out their enterprise business. Just buy up these smaller companies, integrate them and keep yeah. the, keep it flowing. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah. You know, the, the three, the three big cloud providers, I, I could imagine that they had, they have a different approach to that, like high, higher, higher than the infrastructure, higher value, like integrated stuff. Right. Like from Microsoft, like you would expect the more classical approach that they've always had, which is like, well, what we ultimately want to provide is like, I mean, metaphorically, like a set of DVDs that you install it and you can develop and run software like any and and you can also like manage it like we have we have the uh, we have all the way from the operating system to the programming language to the management tools. We have everything. Like it all comes from us. Uh, and like, you know, I could see that as they build out all their Azure stuff, I mean, maybe it already is like this, but, but they would, it would be comprehensive and, and well integrated together. Right. And then with Amazon, it seems like they're more driven of like, well, wasn't the joke that like, uh, that their answer of why they have so many services is that because people ask for them. <laughs> and, right. And, yeah. and so basically instead of imagining like the more Microsoft or the more classic approach where you imagine what the market would need to achieve the outcomes that it wants. Instead, the Amazon thing is like, what do you want? They're like the short order cooks of the cloud. Just like whatever someone wants to order, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll build it up, which means you get a whole bunch of different things that aren't out of the box integrated with each other. I don't know. I mean, and then, I mean, that's why you, you have, it's actually not why it's for a completely different reason, but that's why something that's useful, like everything has to be done through, through an API becomes useful because you kind of default to like, you should build in openness and integration from as a possibility, not something that just, you don't actually do the integration work. You just have API so that it would be possible. 
And then like with Google, I don't know what they would do. Like they're, 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 I don't know how, how, uh, how I would think about their approach for stuff. They see, but they must have one, but it, it, you know, related, there was, uh, I forget the person's name, but there was a, there was a guy who worked at Amazon for 10 months doing design stuff. And he had a, he had a nice detailed post of like how things, uh, ran inside as far as, uh, not really technologically, do people say technologically? That sounds like such a science fiction term. <laughs> uh, but you know, more more of the process. And I know that we're always we're always very interested, Brandon, to match the, what people say on the outside of how Amazon works with how they actually work. And I think once again, I think we're getting a lot every time that we we hear some take on Amazon. I think the core there's two core things I always take away from that are like they actually do this, and that is. They really like uh, live by the. Uh, I think they're up to like three hundred principles now. Last I checked, but they really live by whatever those principles are. Right. Uh, that seems to be a big deal. Now I feel like he he said that the recruiter told him to look up and learn the principles, and I don't know. Maybe this is just the old school student in me, but I feel like that's kind of cheating. Like you shouldn't be prompted. They shouldn't tell you how to take the test. You know something's wrong there, but. I mean, I joke. It's probably a good idea to look that stuff up, but that seems to be uh, real. And then the old uh, the old PR fact thing, the, the kind of six page memo thing, that seems to be real in all accounts of how things happen. And then everything else that I always read about when people talk about how Amazon always works is it's not like shocking. It's always just like, oh, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. Like there, there's something like one of the things he raises is that. He doesn't quite say it this way, and I don't know if this is just contemporaneous or whatever. Boy, my, my son's in the kitchen. He's gotten in the habit of, like, the midnight snack, and I don't know if that's good <laughs> or bad. I don't know what's up with that. But that that basically there's a lot of churn in teams, and so that means that everything is kind of like uh, you don't have the long-term stability, uh, you know, for when it comes to, like, there's always... He was saying there's often a large backlog of, of projects to work on, and... Uh, people just come and go from teams and things like that, which seems like, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but that doesn't seem helpful <laughs> to, to, to allow or encourage that kind of thing. But maybe it's, it's unavoidable uh, nowadays, but uh, you know, it's always nice to have a little, well, I thought the, the best things. line of this um, is right up here. And I guess this is sort of like, you know, old man, old, old man uh, yells at cloud or whatever, but I just thought it was funny because you know, he writes it as, uh, quote, the most surprising thing I encountered when joining was how manual most processes are. It blew my mind how many business critical processes were managed with Excel spreadsheets being shared via email chains. It is incredible how flexible and effective Excel is for such a wide variety of use cases. It's just like you can just see this person like having the awakening. It's like, yep. That's how it works everywhere. doesn't matter where you go. It's basically, I don't care how many business objects or business intelligence tools you have. At the end of the day, it's email and Excel files being passed around. And that it, you can go anywhere. So I thought that was, to me, it was just funny because like everyone encounters this on their own. It's almost like, oh, I realized everyone's just a normal person like me. And they're, they're just doing kind of the same stuff. And I just, I... I don't know. I just found some, like some, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, some peace in seeing someone rediscover That's this. Right. Um, so for the validation. It's, it, yeah, you it's have, like, it's, oh, we all, I remember when I, I thought everyone figured it out and I'd go to the company and I have nothing but like beautiful databases and all the data. I could just query anything I wanted and get a list of the customers using my product and oh, see yeah. how they're doing it and, and looking where they're clicking and it's just perfect. And it's like, no, that doesn't exist anywhere. It doesn't. And it's email. 
in uh, spreadsheets. So, so I'm glad he found that out just like the rest of us. I, I think, you know, I think, I think that, that passage, it's really the, uh, it's really the last sentence. Oh, I, I don't want any, but thank you. Uh, that it's really the last sentence that changes completely the nature of what's going on there. You, 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 you read this and you think it's going to be the complaining about using Excel, but then you see that it's more of an epiphany of like, wow, this is a great tool. We, we should, uh, you know, I should be considering this more for usage rather than, than the it's other It's like the thing. first time someone shows somebody like pivot tables in Excel, you're like, whoa, I didn't know I did this. And you're like, oh, this is just the beginning. So, <laughs> this is just the beginning of what you can do. So, yeah. It, it remind- there. Now, listen, I was there the same. I, I say that only as someone who's walked the path, not someone that means it in any, any way me. I was like, yeah, absolutely. I, I went through that whole path myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we have a, we have a team spreadsheet that tracks all of our, that's basically we enter all of our calendar stuff into it, like major events, not like day by day calendar stuff. And like, you know, I, I don't think about it very often, but you know, sometimes I re I think like, why are we using a spreadsheet for this? Like, it's just like, why don't we just have our calendar? But like at at the, it, it just is like, it's perfect. You just want to like be able to go to each person and just quickly scroll down and like see what's going on there. And it's so much better than if we all like were following each other's calendars or, or something ridiculous like that. Anyhow, uh, hmm. I had I had some other point to make, Brandon, but I've forgotten it. Anyhow, oh oh, I know what it was. Like that that also reminded me. So like I w- I was trying to figure out what uh, what this backstage thing is that Spotify put out right. Uh, and so I like spent a lot of time watching some videos and, uh, they start off by explaining why you need backstage. Basically they go through, like, if you're doing CMDB or asset database as a spreadsheet, it's going to become a problem at some point, right? Where you have to, uh, you're, you're trying to diagnose some problem and then you've got to like ask, ask, uh, you know, Alex for the, uh, for the spreadsheet that tracks all your assets. And that just gets to be a little too unwieldy. And so instead you can build your your asset database that's kept up uh, better, you know, you can automate that uh, and, and uh, it'll work out better. And, you know, it, it's funny, as, as I was going through, watching through their presentations of the cycle, they would get to the point where you can finally, like each project, uh, you know, has a runtime updating of what the assets are. And it's, I mean, it's great. It's like what you were kind of describing where like, if you are a really curious and interested developer, you have like one page in in the plugin they have for backstage that you go to that will list like the all of the kind of like assets the current version who the owner of a thing is like all the relevant information for your project but then it will also list like the status of your application running in production you know like and for spotify whatever the music related thing is and then it'll list all the dependencies that it has and like you know all that kind of stuff in one place finally and they were going through it and and i i was just as an aside i was like man i hope that there's a way to just export a spreadsheet so that so that you can basically just scroll through like the 500 things that are there instead of having to visit each individual page yep. Yep. To like export data this. always always a must have yeah. on every doesn't matter what you're building export data is one of the features you must have so i want i want to suggest a, a new paradigm for thinking about we shouldn't be using the spreadsheet is that like at the you might not should use a spreadsheet as the only primary tracking mechanism but you should always realize that a spreadsheet is probably the primary ui for dealing with your with your system 
Like, you know, you got to realize that like people are going to want to manipulate a spreadsheet. So just like we should know that eventually we're going to integrate with Active Directory, let's just do a spreadsheet right out of the gate, right? And uh, make sure that uh, we have that as an interface for working with things. Even if we're trying to eliminate a spreadsheet because that was the problem from the beginning. (laughs) We're still at the end. In the beginning, we can be anti-spreadsheet, but at the end, we always need to be pro-spreadsheet at the end of whatever workflow that you're doing because that's that's all people are going to want. We'll see how that works out. Uh, this year that's my like prediction it. is like we're going to develop the uh, the spreadsheet theory people are going to discover it works well this this uh you know this week brandon do we have any bureaucracy to go over we do we've always got some uh, bureaucracy so first i want to uh let you know i sent some stickers to andrew in the ukraine and an incredibly long street name that I just barely wrote on the envelope, but he explained to me why it was so long. And so I learned a little about uh, Ukraine addresses, which is always fun. So if well, you would like a sticker, all you have to do is send your postal uh, address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Also, a couple things from the Slack. So uh, in the Slack this week, Brian, uh, he actually uh, rebutted my uh, review of the success equation. So he said that he didn't necessarily... Uh, like it, he seemed a little bit repetitive and didn't buy the whole reversion to the mean hypothesis. So it's a good, good review. I, I mean, I, I still like it. Um, he said that it had some solid points. But listen, if you join the Slack, Cote, you know what you could do? You could go to the books, films, music channel, and you could participate. You could either give your review of like why you liked it or why you didn't like it. And it's a good channel to like just find good books, good music, good films. Shockingly, uh, it's named that, and it also includes that information. Also, one of the, a follow-up item from last week, Robert suggests in Slack that uh, I proposed that the son-in-law was the least useful person uh, when you're on like a family vacation with your in-laws. The son-in-law is the lowest uh, rank. He came at it with another one, and I think it is true. He said, uh, one of the only people that ranks lower than the son-in-law in the pecking order is being the unmarried brother of the son-in-law. And I was like, yes, you're right. When you're the unmarried brother of the son-in-law and you're like at the family get-together, you are just basically a stranger. No one really cares about what you do. And the fact that, like he said, unmarried, I think is also funny because there's always like some questions like he's not married. Uh, he's, like, what's going on? Why, like, why is he not married with his own uh, family? Right. There's a little, there's some questioning. So maybe it's even a little bit lower than stranger because people are kind of questioning his, that person's values. So I think Robert, I think you're right. I think you found it. I think that is the actual floor unmarried brother of the son-in-law is the lowest ranking family member in, in any type of large gathering. Um, and then finally, we talk a lot about other podcasts on the show. And I just want to let everyone know, I created a couple other uh, channels in the Slack. One for the Cloudcast, that's one by uh, Brian Gracely and Aaron. They do a really good job. So if you want to talk about that one, there's a channel. And then, of course, Matt Ray runs a podcast called Cloud Native AF. So that's another reason to join the, the Slack is to get in there and talk about those podcasts as well as this one. So good, mm. good to get everyone's feedback. Appreciate hearing everything from everyone. There's also the uh, the hallway track podcast. Oh, that's that, of uh, course. Thank you, Kote. I didn't have that yeah, one written down. Gotta, Good friends yeah, with the hallway track as well. We've got we've got a little little podcast world over here, uh, universe. That's that's very exciting. Well, uh, there there are uh, I think so. The, that conference was rescheduled to uh, May twenty third and twenty sixth. I still need to figure out if if I can uh, make it to that, which which would be fine. Now they uh, they've got they have a Wisconsin version. Do you say Wisconsin? How do you pronounce that state, Brandon? Wisconsin. That's what I say. Is it is it like Wisconsin or Wisconsin? I think it's just Wisconsin, but I don't Wisconsin. know. But maybe someone from Wisconsin can email us and tell us. You know. Yeah, yeah. So they have a West Conference. Wisconsin. See, 
God damn it. They have a Wisconsin version, and there's a call for papers open up for uh, for that. There's also DevOps Day Chicago is uh, going to be May 10th and 11th. Uh, I think the CFP is still open for that. And then there is uh, DevOps Days uh, Birmingham, Alabama uh, is, is coming up as well. And we're, you know, we're planning out our, our spring tours, and we'll have uh, our big conference uh, towards the end of the year uh, as well. Now, with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this episode? Well, you just mentioned the hallway track where they talk about, about cooking. So I'll just sort of like an homage to them is I got an Innova precision cooker for my sous vide cooking over Christmas. And I, you know, I was turned on to the reverse sear, which I think I recommend on here is a great way to make steak. But like, I would agree the sous vide, this pressure cooker thing, uh, pre- or what is it called? Precision cooker, not pressure cooker. You know, basically you just, it's just a thing that heats water to a certain temperature and keeps it at that. But it's really good. Like, yeah, you put your, uh, your, your big proteins, your, and we've done pork, we've done beef, and uh, you let it sit in there for an hour and at the appropriate temperature. I even got this mm. thing so it's Wi-Fi enabled. I can be up here working and I can of just see, see where it is. It's uh, fantastic. And then, yeah, you just sear it on the grill for a few minutes and you look, look boom, professional-grade steak, like restaurant quality. So uh, if you're like me and you're just sort of like just kind of uh, opening your eyes to cooking, this is a very simple thing, and it does. It kind of makes you – I like it because like the food and the and – the, um, water kind of do all the work there's really not much cooking involved but you kind of can just take credit for it at the end like look at this great thing i made but you didn't really do that much work which is the kind of cooking i like so yeah if you're ready to uh step into sous vide uh cooking if i'm saying that right who knows um get yourself a pressure a, per, uh, a nanova precision cooker check it out yeah i i think i think i finally worked on kim where she thinks that's an acceptable thing for me to buy i asked her recently why why have you never given me a sous vide as a gift and she was like, yeah, that's a good question. I think at some point she thought it was absurd. But, you know, on that, on that note, well, two things. One, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're phrasing that the water and the, the whatever does the work. That reminds me, you know, when I was trying to learn how to saw, my grandfather always told me that I was trying too hard and I had to let the saw do the work. And I, was, <laughs> I, I, never, I never understood what the fuck he was talking about. Like, that, just, that's, that was too, like... You know, he grew up on a farm in Oklahoma, so I think he was more closely connected to to wood and saws. So it probably made sense, but I didn't understand what that was. But but also, I, I I've had some reverse sear adventures. Now I don't always reverse sear stuff because it's you know we don't really get good beef around here. But I got a roast for Christmas, and I was trying to reverse sear it. And uh, now the problem was, I'm going to cut to the chase. The problem was my meat thermometer. Uh, was set in Celsius, and I was oh. thinking in Fahrenheit, and so that <laughs> explains why it was taking so long That's to good. achieve the correct. So basically, the dog had a nice Christmas uh, little Ugh. dinner there. It was Ugh. thankfully it was like a European roast, which means it was probably like you know two thirds of a pound or a pound, okay. just, but about the size of a brick. Man, it did become a brick, uh, <laughs> but but then. Kim actually found a place to kind of uh, mail order some really good beef. So she got me these two giant steaks. And I have successfully reversed here cooked those. Those, mm, those are great. That's good. the only – and they were like two inches thick. That's oh, the only way to cook that Well, there you go. Now you need – now you know what? That's the perfect sous vide kind of thing. Oh, Step yeah. up. Go yeah. get to the next level. You'll like it. So I have two recommendations. One is, uh, you know, I, I'm always bad at, at hustling my own company stuff, but – uh, this week, we just released the 1.0 version of our Tanzu application platform. Now, there's a lot going on in this. It, uh, you know, it, it has Backstage in it, 
uh, if you're interested. But it's basically, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, if, if you've heard of the idea that Kubernetes is a platform for building platforms, well, here's a platform built on that platform. Uh, and it's got, you know, it's got your, uh, it's got your three SC in it and, uh, it's got all sorts of also interesting, like, uh, uh, like an API catalog and way of discovering that it has all sorts of like, uh, tools for like monitoring your stuff in production. And it's all centered around like making Kubernetes easier to use for developers, but also have having all the enterprise stuff that you need for governance and security and stuff like that. I'm giving it extremely short thrift. Uh, it has a lot of stuff in it. And I've started a series with, uh, well, hopefully I've started. We've recorded one episode that I haven't even published yet, Brandon. Does that count as starting something? Sure. Why not? I'll take good, it. Yeah, good, yeah, yeah. Go for it. And uh, I've started a, a little series with uh, one of my teammates, Cora, where we'll we'll just kind of go over a lot of the components in there, and I'll get to ask her. It's really the secret of that is I, I, uh, I've, I've outsourced my educating myself. She goes in and figures out how everything works, and then I can just ask her questions, which is wonderful. She's she's a great teacher. So, uh, however, uh, if if you just search around for it, check it out. If you go look at my Twitter, I've got lots of links to it, and uh, you should check it out. It's uh, it's good stuff. Now, I mean, of course, it's good stuff. My other recommendation is, uh, you know, I've been following that guy. Speaking of reverse here, that guy Kenji, three more names, uh, who used to work at Serious Eats, and I love his videos and. Uh, I noticed in the American Chinese food that he he makes, he's always putting MSG in it. And so finally, you know, I I like yourself Brandon, I think, uh being a having grown up in the the 70s and the 80s, I was told that MSG is toxic and causes cancer and you should never use it. And so like he seemed to be he seems like a cool guy. He doesn't wear shoes in his videos and he feeds his dog. Uh and so like he uses it. So I ordered some <laughs> and uh, I've started using it on things. And Brandon, it's amazing. It's good. All right. Yeah. Like, like I, I had some popcorn that I was eating and I put MSG on it. So good. And in fact, it's interesting because I, I haven't eaten MSG knowingly so much that now that I'm eating it, I'm like, hmm, I'm remembering some flavors. Like, you know, <laughs> like that. Remember, remember it's like an when, awakening from your childhood. You're like, I've had this before. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you remember when microwave popcorn was first popular yep. and you would get all those little extra spices yep. and, and things that you would put on popcorn? I think that was all just basically MSG with some paprika in it. Hmm, is, it was like the secret of a lot of that stuff. But you should. So, you know, again, not a doctor or a dentist. I don't know if MSG is terrible or not, but boy, it tastes good. You should uh, do, do your own research and you can just order it right off of Amazon. They just send you, they just send you this kind of clinical bag of it and it's just this white powder. And boy, it's good stuff. Just, I'm gonna have to stop myself from putting it in things. Do you think it would be good in salsa? I should try that out. Why not? Go for it. So, uh, if I survive my MSG experimentation over the next week, you'll be able to join us again next week for Software Defined Talk, which is the name of this podcast. Now, if you want to get the show notes for this episode, if you want to see how to spell MSG, uh, and uh, kind of definitely go check out the Tanzu application platform. We'll have links to all the stuff and things we mentioned. Uh, at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 339, this being episode 339. You can join the Slack and check it out. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Uh, are, are you just going to eat everything? I, I don't want that. You're making your lunch. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Well, great. I don't, I don't want one, but thank you.